As we are wrapping up this series, we've really been looking at this idea of investment and really looking at our time and our talents and this morning our treasure and looking at those things as not things that we are to use for ourselves, but things that we are to invest for the Lord and to advance his kingdom and to promote the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ and walking through those different types of things. And if you remember, we looked at 1 Corinthians 3 uh, the past two weeks. And so if you want to turn there, you can. We're actually going to be in Matthew chapter 6, but you can turn to 1 Corinthians 3 verses 11 through 14, where it reminds ourselves of what our foundation is as a follower of Jesus Christ, that no one can lay a foundation other than Jesus Christ is what Paul says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that that's what our lives ought to be built upon, that as Jesus says, closing out the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, that our life is built on the rock. Our life should be built as a follower of Jesus Christ on who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for me and for you through his life, death, and resurrection. So everything that I accomplish or, or seek after in life ought to be built on that foundation, knowing that every one of us are going to give an account for how we steward what the Lord has entrusted to us. We mentioned that that word steward is used eight times in the New Testament to remind ourselves that what we have what we are seeking after, what we achieve is on loan from God and we're gonna give an account for how we use those things. And Paul uses this analogy of all of us standing before God one day and there's being this fire that we don't know if that's just an illustration or what that's gonna look like, but in our lives, what we ought to strive for, depending on how we invest our lives, it will be revealed through gold, silver, and precious stone, which will last through that fire, last through that evaluation, or it'll be wood, hay, and straw, which as we know, burns up. And knowing that we're gonna give an account. And that should be a sobering thing, that should not be a thing that causes us to question our salvation, because at verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 3, it, it, Paul makes clear that this isn't a matter of salvation, this is a matter of stewardship. And so I wanna invite you now to turn, hopefully flip over to Matthew chapter six. That's where we're gonna be this morning. We're kind of jumping into a Sermon on the Mount. We're jumping into a message from Jesus. I wanna ask you how many of you have maybe been late to one of our services and you come halfway into the message and you're like trying to figure out like, like what is he getting at? Like where, I missed a section and so, so let me see if I can get caught up. And so that's always the case when we're jumping into a passage of scripture. If you're new at Harvest, normally what we do is we walk through books of the Bible verse by verse. And so even this is a more topical series. We're still taking chunks of scripture and walking verse by verse through them, word for word, like we'll do today in Matthew 6 in our passage, but we're still jumping into the middle of something. And so I wanna set the context of really what Jesus is going after in this greatest sermon that has ever been preached by the greatest preacher who's ever preached, Jesus. Like no one's gonna argue with that today, right? And so in, in this Sermon on the Mount, really what Jesus is doing is he's focusing on our vertical relationship with him, my personal relationship with the Lord, what I need to seek after in my relationship with the Lord, and then he'll at times go from the vertical relationship, my vertical relationship with the Lord, and he'll deal with how that impacts the horizontal relationships with those around me. And so that's what Jesus does through Matthew 5 all the way through Matthew chapter seven, but we find ourselves here in Matthew six, 
verses 19 through 24. And so I'm going to read this entire passage of Scripture, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. So would you look at me in verse 19 of Matthew 6? Jesus says this in this greatest sermon that's ever been preached by obviously the greatest preacher that's ever preached. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I just want us to read verse 21 together out loud. Can we do that? Let's do that in verse 21. Read it with me. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 22, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here's the title of the message this morning. The treasure of your heart. I want you to pray with me as I pray out loud and just ask the Lord to reveal to you, Lord, today, what is the treasure of my heart? Who is it? What is it? Would you reveal that to me? So you pray with me as I pray out loud this morning. God, I thank you today that we've just been able to remind ourselves through the words that we have sung who you are. Lord, you tell us in verse 21 where our treasure is, there is our heart also. Lord, so we come to you today asking that question of our hearts. What is our heart's treasure? Lord, may we be sincere in asking that question so that we can see what you want us to see today. So that we can answer that in the way that you want us to answer that today. So that we can confess where we need to confess today the sin of making something else our treasure rather than you. Lord, we don't have to pray for you to speak because we know that when your word is open, your mouth is open. So Lord, we pray that you would allow us to open up our lives to your word and respond in obedience to what you say. Lord, that's what you want. And so, Lord, would you guide us? Would you use me as we just walk through this passage of Scripture that really talks about the treasure of our heart? And it's in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Here's the idea that I want you to get today that really we're going to see in these verses, verses 19 through 24. It's this, that treasure is not a matter of what I have or what I don't have. It is a matter of the heart. It's really not. It's, it's really, treasure is not determined by what I have or what I don't have. It has to do with my heart. See, something that I don't think I need to let you know of, I don't think it's going to be new knowledge to you that you didn't know before you came in these doors today, but I still think that we need to just embrace this reality that we are naturally things-oriented, I mean, we naturally gravitate 
to defining ourselves by the things that we have or the things that we don't have. That's how we're wired. And so I'm going to seek after things. I'm going to enjoy things. I'm going to guard things. I'm going to protect things that I have, that I possess. And none of us would say to ourselves, well, that just isn't something that I struggle with because we're all naturally oriented that, like that. It's our nature to be things-oriented. And so when we look at a passage of Scripture like this, for sure Jesus is emphasizing possessions, the things that we, our hearts naturally go after. But you know what I've found about myself? I'm not just naturally things-oriented. Not just naturally, materially, material things oriented. I think our hearts naturally also gravitate to things that are immaterial as well. See, some of us might even sit here and say, you know what really motivates me? It's not more money in my bank account that that would be nice. It's really, I'm motivated by approval. I love the applause of people. Oh, they may not, may not literally but I love being recognized by people. I love it when they, when they say, man, you're doing an amazing job. I love it at work, like when there's a goal or there's an award that I can achieve. Man, my eyes are centered on that, and I want to go hard after that. And maybe I've even been blessed to receive some of those accolades at work, and it does something in me. It drives me, because maybe by nature you're an achiever, and so the applause and the approval of people means much to you or maybe it's a platform or maybe it's significance or maybe it's influence and the more influence that you can have the more fulfilled you feel or the significance that you desire to have is the thing that you really strive after see it's not a matter of what did we say of what I have or what I don't have it's a matter of the heart and our hearts can be driven to material things because we're wired that way, but it can also be driven to immaterial things as well. And so I think it's important because treasure is mentioned quite a few times in this passage of Scripture that we literally define what that word means. See, if you don't realize this, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek, and so this word treasure is a Greek word that literally means this. What has exceptional value that you desire to keep safe. So it's not just a matter of what has exceptional value to you, but there's a motivation in there that it has such exceptional value to me that I want to keep it safe. That's the idea of the word treasure that Jesus uses in this passage of Scripture. So if we could even shrink down that definition more and make it as simple as possible, here's how I would also define treasure. Though I think the Greek meaning of the word does it justice, simply this, what do you love most? Just ask yourself that question today. What do you love most? Here's why I ask that question, because what I love most is what I protect most. Straight from that definition. It's not just a matter of what has exceptional value to me, but the motivation that it has such exceptional value to me that I will do anything to keep it safe. See, what you love most is what you protect most. And I wonder, is that relationships? Nothing wrong with that. I love my wife. None of you would argue that that is wrong. I love my kids. 
I love this church. I love my friends. I love the opportunities that God has graciously given me in my life. But what I love most is what I want to protect most. See, treasure is not a matter of what I have or what I don't have. It's a matter of the heart. And what we need to ask ourselves as we go into this passage of Scripture is ask ourselves, is my treasure Jesus or is it something else? See, in this passage of Scripture, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you two fundamental principles about your heart straight from this passage of Scripture. And the first one is found in verses 19 through 23. Here's the first principle. What my heart treasures is what my heart trusts. Because in verse 21, what does Jesus say? Where your treasure is, what? There will your heart be also. See, there's a fundamental principle we need to understand about our heart, my heart, your heart. None of us are immune from this, that what my heart treasures is also what my heart trusts. And Jesus gives two commands in verses 19 and 20. Do you see it there? Look at it. He gives two commands that are contrast one another. In verse 19, he tells us what we shouldn't do. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. In other words, he says, don't store up, don't strive after things that won't last, that can be taken away from you. And then in verse 20, he gives the opposite. So verse 19, it's don't do this. And then in verse 20, now he's going to tell us, Jesus is going to tell us what we need to do. And he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So I think the first thing that we need to ask ourselves, if we look at verses 19 and 20, to really understand this idea that what my heart treasures is what my heart trusts, is we need to ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean by treasures on earth? What does he mean by that? It's an important question to ask. And it's interesting that though he doesn't specifically explain in 19 through 24 what the actual treasure is, in verses 25 through 34, he speaks of three things, right? He talks about food, he talks about what we drink, and he talks about what we'll wear. So, our fo- so food, drink, and clothing. Wouldn't we probably say that those three things are things that we all need? I would probably venture to guess, and this would probably be a fairly good guess, that all three, all, all of those three, or at least two of those three, you have partaken of today. Because all of you have clothes on, so we got that one down, by God's grace, right? Thank you, Jesus. Um, and you probably all at least drank something, whether that be coffee in the lobby or something that you had before, and maybe you've even having breakfast because you're at the 11 a.m., you're not at the 9 a.m. So probably most of us have had all three of those, and, and none of us would argue that those are not needs. So it's interesting to me that in verses 19 through 24, Jesus talks about not laying up for yourselves treasures on earth, the things, don't don't be so focused on the things that won't last or that people can take away from you. And then he literally gets specific and says, well, food and drink and clothing, those can be treasures. But you're like, but Jesus, those are natural needs. Like Jesus doesn't say, hey, stop coveting the big house. 
Like he doesn't say, be content with the house that you have. Stop wanting a bigger house. Nobody would argue if Jesus said that. Nobody, one of us would say, well, Jesus is wrong there. He's, he's prying into something personal. None of us would say that. He doesn't say, hey, stop coveting the Mercedes when you have a perfectly good car. Not that there's anything wrong. If any of you have Mercedes, God bless you. Do you see my point? Jesus doesn't say stop wanting the bigger this or the better this. Jesus doesn't say that. He literally says, hey, stop focusing on the things that won't last, the things that can be taken from you, and those even can be actual needs in your life. It can be the material things. It can be the immaterial things that we mentioned. It can even be our needs. Any one of those things can be the treasure of our heart where we are putting our trust. See, the big, million, the big question that Jesus really is asking is, are you trusting in the things that won't last or that can be taken away from you rather than the relationship that you have with me that will last forever, that can never be taken away And are you trusting more in those material things that you want, those immaterial things that you're striving after, even those needs that are consuming your mind? Wait a minute. Put your trust in the giver rather than the gifts. That's what Jesus is asking. And if we look at that definition of the word treasure again, it's what has exceptional value that I want to keep safe. You know what a great indicator is if I'm misplacing my treasure? and my heart is trusting in the wrong thing, it's when those things, whether it, whether it is the goal to have the bigger house, or the goal to have the better car, or the goal to have more of this or more of that, or, or the goal to have more applause or more significance or more influence or a bigger platform, or even the needs that are consuming us. Like, God, I, I actually, I, I need food or clothing or whatever. Like, like, I'm not asking for a lot, Lord. These are actual needs that when those things are being threatened, how I react is a great indicator of where my treasure is and where my trust is found. I found that in my own life. That when this particular thing that my heart is starting to go after and treasure more than Jesus that what I've found is when, when times come and that thing is threatened, that's when I rise up. That's when I begin to be fearful. And for me, my fear manifests itself in anger. For you, you could be different. But what I found about my heart is when fear rises up because the thing that I'm wanting to keep, keep safe is being threatened then I grow fearful and I get angry and I get defensive and those types of things. And you know what that's an indicator of? That my treasure is being misplaced and my heart is trusting in something other than my Savior. What is it for you? What is the nerve right now that's being touched by your circumstances or even God in His grace is showing you that your treasure is not being 
found in him ultimately. And right now, you're not reacting properly to the circumstances that you are in. Why? Because chances are your treasure is being placed in something other than your relationship with the Lord. And because it's being challenged and because you don't feel that that thing or that person or that relationship or whatever it is that you're treasuring is not safe, something's rising up within you. It's a great indicator of where our treasure is found. But here's what happens in a passage of Scripture like this. Because I'm not going to pretend. Let's not pretend we're in church, right? Let's not pretend that this passage of Scripture is probably not a passage of Scripture that the majority of the people in this room today would say, this is the first time I've ever read this. So you could have heard this taught or read this in your quiet time or whatever and and maybe you've heard it taught and it's been specifically to how you need to use the money that God has entrusted to you and that wouldn't be an unfair interpretation of this passage because Jesus ends it in verse 24. You can't serve God in money. You'd be wrong in preaching a message about specifically about the stewardship of your finances. But this morning, we're not focusing on the outcomes of what manifests itself when my heart treasures Jesus first and foremost. We're not talking about the outcomes. We're dealing with the motivation today. And so we hear a passage of Scripture like this, and and we may even feel conviction, feel guilty. Ugh, had to be that today? Like I knew we were talking about treasure today because I saw social media this week and the passage of scripture was given and man, I wanted to skip church today. After all, it was daylight savings time, so that was enough motivation. But when I heard it was gonna be about treasure, like I really wanted to skip today, but somehow, some way, I'm in this room today already preparing myself to put up the walls of defense uh, to this passage of scripture. And so maybe you're even here today and I've already been talking. You're like, man, I feel so guilty. <sighs> All right, I'll do what it says. I'll give a little bit more of my money. I'll give a little bit time. All right, sign me up. I know I wanted to serve. I go drop off my kids every week in the children's area, and someone else loves my kids. And so, all right, I'll do that. And what do we do? We feel guilty, and what do we do? We comply. I'm going to do this. You're making me feel guilty. You're telling me I need to do it. I'm going to my life group. We're going to talk about it this week. I'm going to feel a little more guilty, and I'm going to comply, right? I've I've had times in my Christian walk like that. I'm going to comply. When I was in high school, I go to camp, and I'm going to comply because everybody else is throwing a stick in the fire, and so I'm going to do it too. And two weeks later, I'm right back to where I was before. Why? Because we comply. You may even hear this passage of Scripture, you're like, okay, I'm going to respond, I'm going to be, I'm going I'm to confess this, I'm going to comply, and it may work for a couple weeks, may work for a few weeks, may even work for quite a few months. But listen to me. The Lord doesn't want you to comply. See, this is not a passage about compliance, this is a passage about Transformation. You see the difference there? Because compliance is motivated by an outside force. See, I can sit with you all day long and tell you what you need to do. And you can read God's Word every day and see what it tells you to do. But if there's not a motivation of the heart to do 
what God's Word says. And to submit to the Holy Spirit, using His Word to speak into your life and you to submit to that every day. That's how transformation happens. It's not about compliance, it's about transformation. And that's true of anything in your life. But we're getting at the heart today. Your heart, my heart. Remember when I was in college, um, I don't remember if it was my freshman or sophomore year, it was one of those years, and early on in my college, and they, they had one of these things, I'm going to sound super old school, I don't even know if they do this anymore, you may not know this word, but it was like the Sadie Hawkins thing, like they did, where's my teenagers in the room, do they still do that sort of thing? You're like, I know. Um, basically what it was is the girls would ask out the guys on like this big outing, and uh, I remember my dad uh, was, I remember telling him, yeah, dad, like the, there's this big outing going up and there's some girls that I would love to ask me to do something with them at this outing. And I remember my dad said something, he's like, you need to be a gentleman and the first girl that asks you, you need to say yes to because that's already a big thing that she's doing. So I was like, and then he said this, he said, and then the other girls that you actually want to ask, they're going to be impressed with that. So I can't even say that I said yes out of pure motives. But nevertheless, like I'm being transparent today. So I followed that rule. So I remember the first girl that asked me, I said yes to. Never saw her before. I think I had a class with her. It wasn't Lori. Uh, this, was, this was BL before Lori. Uh, this was, and I said yes to her. And, and the outing that we were going on was a four-hour-long canoe trip. Long time. <laughs> to be with someone that you don't know from Adam. That you saw in a speech class. That you paid no attention to. So anyway, anyway I'm, in this canoe I'm in this canoe trip. We get in the canoe and, and uh, wanting to be nice and everything. And so I start, she was an extremely shy girl. So I started asking her questions. We're like in an hour into the canoe trip and I'm asking questions and I'm trying to think of not yes and no questions, but questions that actually would create a conversation. You ever been in one of those conversations, it's like a tennis match and you're hitting the ball over the net and they're not hitting anything back. <laughs> it's like, all right, let me, I'm not even going to serve it overhand. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, it's a four-hour-long canoe trip. I mean, it's getting so quiet that I can hear my paddle hitting the side of the canoe. Dunk, dunk, dunk. The poor girl, like, I was so ready for that canoe trip to be over. We had to play these stupid little dating games. or I mean, I went to a very conservative college. Like, we, had separate, we couldn't talk to girls at night after 7 o'clock. That's a whole other message. But... <laughs> So they had all these stupid games, like yeah, we got to hold hands and do different things. And I don't even, like, this is four hours after being with her, and she never talked. And, and um, so anyway, my point is this. My point, this has a point. My point is this. That canoe trip, if I could sum it up in one word based on what I just said, was compliance. I'm doing this because I know I need to. I'm doing this because I know that this is what a nice guy should do. She put herself out there. I know that was hard. 
obviously very shy. I'm going to do this. But it was not motivated out of the heart. Now, go to AL after Lori. Now, when I did stuff with Lori, time went by like that. You know why? Because my heart was in it. It wasn't about compliance. It was about my heart. That I loved this woman and loved this woman. My point being this, that when my Christian life is driven by compliance, and when I sit in services time after time after time and read his word, and I'm in life group, and I'm in biblical community, and I'm hearing these things, and I'm saying, okay, I know I'm supposed to do this, but my heart isn't in it, and I'm not surrendering my heart and evaluating my heart and saying, Lord, where are the things in my life that have taken first place in my life? That when it's not about transformation... I'm not going to see change. Because what my heart treasures is what my heart trusts. Paul says it in Romans 12 too. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same idea. The renewing of what is inside. That as I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord and as I'm saying yes to Him more and no to the things that want to steal my affections, that what begins to happen according to Romans 12 too, by the renewing of mind, I will see what is good and acceptable and see the will of God as complete, as perfect. Why? Because a transformation is taking place, not compliance. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 9. Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 9 is a passage of Scripture that we oftentimes go to, right, about stewardship of our resources. And in verses 6 and 7, Paul says this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I'm not a farmer, but I can understand that. The more seed that I scatter, the more that it will produce. I get that. Anybody gets that. That's an elementary principle. But notice what he says in verse 7. And you probably are familiar with this. But there's a reason why I wanted you to see it. Because Paul says this, and better to say it, the Holy Spirit says this through Paul. Each one must give as he has decided. What are those next three words? Say it with me. In his heart. Because Paul understands it's the heart that matters. Because what you treasure is what you trust. And when I treasure Jesus first and foremost in my life, I am going to ultimately trust him. So if the Lord wants me to steward what he's given me, great. It's yours, Lord. Why? Because I treasure you. I treasure the giver more than the gifts. My heart is not ruled by things. It's not ruled by immaterial things. It's not even being ruled by my needs. And are they going to be met or are they not going to be met? Why? Because I trust and treasure the giver. He says there, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't give out of compliance. Like if I'm giving because I'm feeling guilty, then that's totally contrary to the gospel. Because I don't serve the Lord. I don't steward the things that he's given me out of guilt. I steward them out of gratitude. Because I treasure the giver more than the things that he's given me. See, an indicator of what my heart treasures is what I see as having worth. Verses 22 and 23, go back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus gives this illustration of the eye. 
And he says it there in verse 22. Look at it. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Like, like what you perceive, what you see reveals what's going on inside of you. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. And if then light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Another word, is, what, is, what Jesus is saying is, how do you see me in reference to the material, the immaterial, or even your needs? How do you see me? Because if the eye is healthy, here's what that means. If my eye is healthy, if what I, the way that I see properly and see the way that the Lord wants me to see is I'm seeing Jesus as my greatest treasure. I'm seeing that as having exceptional value, that relationship. Because here's the awesome thing. It can never be taken away. So it will always feel safe. But if my eye is unhealthy, if it's bad, then I will see in double vision. See, three months ago, I didn't need these. It literally happened like in a week. Like looking at my Bible in reading in my quiet time, and I'm like, man, the lighting's all of a sudden worse in my house. Is there a light bulb out? You may not have noticed, but I was preaching like, I remember last fall and I was preaching and Lori's like, can you not read that? Because I was like going from here to here. See, my eyes went bad. And I couldn't see what was reality. So what I needed to do is I needed to put on something to help me to be able to see what was truly there so that I could see it, so that I could receive it, so that I could react properly. And that's Jesus' point, that what my eye sees as having true worth is what I'll trust in. And if it's healthy, it's Jesus. And if it's not, it's something else. See, here's the second principle. Not only what my heart treasures is what my heart trusts. That's found in verses 19 through 23. Hopefully you've been able to see that. But here's the second principle about your heart. And it's found in verse 24. What my heart treasures is what my heart serves. Look at what it says in verse 24. Let's look at it again. No one, say that with me, no one. You know what that means? Not you, not me, no one. Means the same thing in the original language that it means in the English. No one. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. Those are words that are diametrically opposed to one another and are no way related to one another. And so Jesus is literally saying if you were sleeping, you had too much, you know, bread and fish, uh, let me say it another way. He'll be devoted to the one or despise the other, hate the other, or have nothing to want to do with the other. You cannot serve God and money. What my heart treasures is what my heart serves. Here's what Jesus is getting at. I cannot two-time God. You can't two-time the Lord. I will in no way ask you to raise your hands for this question. But immediately when I was studying this and thinking about, man, I can't love two things because true love is monogamous. I can only truly love one thing. Thought to myself of some of the shows that are out there. Thought of one in particular show that will completely rename nameless, so not to give it absolutely any credit of having any worth whatsoever. 
But I can honestly say, since I'm being transparent today, as I strive to be every week, that I cannot say that I've never watched this. And I think without saying the name of the show, don't say it out loud, that you would be able to identify it as well. See, there's a show that's been on for 50,000 seasons and probably 49,000 seasons too long. But nevertheless, there's this show that's out there that gets us caught up into thinking that you can love more than one person at a time. And then we're shocked that out of the 50,000 seasons that this show has been on, that 49,000 and the, and the 999 of those relationships don't work. And the ones that are working are hanging on by a thread. Because somewhere along the line, we've been tricked into thinking, and I hope this is not the way that you think, but at the same time, society tells us that I can love more than one person, one thing at a time. And you know what this verse is saying? No one. No one can. Just like I can't walk in two directions at the same time. Can't do it. Because true love is monogamous. I can only treasure one thing at a time. And what I treasure is what I trust, but what we need to understand that Jesus is getting at in verse 24 is it also has ramifications that what I treasure is what I serve. I wonder this morning, are you serving the gifts more than the giver? Have you misplaced your trust and your treasure into the things that he has given you or to the things that you desire that in and of themselves are amoral things. They're not right or they're not wrong. Listen to me. I can treasure, if I treasure this church more than I treasure Jesus, it's wrong. If you treasure your spouse more than you treasure Jesus, it's wrong. If you treasure your kids more than you treasure Jesus, it's wrong. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. If I treasure that thing, that person, that possession, that influence, that applause greater than Jesus, you know what it is? It is idol worship. It's what it is. When I am treasuring anything or anyone greater than the one who deserves my treasure, my trust, my worship, my service, it is idolatry. And listen to me, we serve a jealous God. And not jealousy in a sinful way. But God is jealous for your heart. And if you are a child of His, He is going to do anything out of love to get you to the place to where you realize that He is the treasure that you truly trust in and that you truly serve and is the only one who can produce the return on investment that you desire for your life because really sanctification you know what sanctification is me growing in my relationship more and more you know what it is it is identifying the idols and destroying them it's idol identification and idol destruction and God in his grace gives me the opportunity to, to identify those things and to rid those things and to say, Lord, I put this on the altar of my heart. Lord, no, no, no. 
Lord, I'm seeing it today. The Lord is actually using his word today to give you the opportunity to do that today. God, I'm going to take that off of the altar. It never deserved to be in that place. And Lord, I'm going to submit to you and put you in the place that you've always deserved in my life, that you at one time were, but for whatever reason, I've taken you off of that place. Lord, I'm putting you back on that place. Why? Because sanctification, me growing in my relationship with the Lord is always about evaluating my heart and saying, where are the idols and how do I need to destroy them? But see, God loves me enough that even in those times where I am negligent in identifying them, that he will do what it takes for my heart to love him first and foremost again. That's his love. That's his discipline that's motivated out of love. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, if then you've been raised with Christ, like if you've experienced the relationship with Jesus that was made possible not because of the good that you have done, but through the perfect life that Jesus lived and replaced for your sinful life and my sinful life. And I put my trust also in the death of his Savior, of the Savior on the cross, paying the penalty that my sin deserved. And I praising God today that I can have a relationship with him because Jesus has risen from the dead. If I place my trust, not in the good that I've done, but in the perfection that he's accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection for my sin, then I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. This passage is speaking to me. And what Paul says is, seek the things that are above. Treasure Jesus first and foremost so that you can operate as someone who is wise and not as unwise and be able to see the people and the opportunities that the Lord desires you to see to steward of the resources of the time and the talents and the treasure that God has given you so that you will stand before him one day and not have to worry, am I going to hear well done, thou good and faithful servant? Are the things that I invested in my life going to just be burned up and not last because I've squandered them rather than stewarded them? Listen to me, when I'm treasuring Jesus, I don't have to worry about that. So seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look at verse 4, I love this. And he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. He doesn't say that when Christ comes, And that job that is your life appears. Or that reputation which is your life appears. Or that relationship which is your life appears. Or those kids which are your, which are, or your life appears. Or fill in the blank. No, no, no. He says, where my treasure ought to be is Jesus. He is my life. He's where my trust needs to be placed. He's where my worship and service needs to be placed. He's my life. And when he appears, I will appear with him in glory. That is what I treasure. See, it's not a matter of what I have or what I don't have. It's a matter of my heart. And here's what we're going to do to close out this series. We've got all of these bowls here and they're filled with these rocks. And I was thinking about how we would close out this short little series, but obviously an important one. And I thought of 1 Samuel 7. I'm reading through 1 Samuel in my quiet time. And in 1 Samuel 7, 
Samuel is the leader of Israel and they have this nation, the Philistines, that are constantly just on their backs and they go into battle and the Philistines overtake them and they lose all of these soldiers and they look at Samuel and they're like, Samuel, why did that happen? And Samuel says, because you've been worshiping other gods. You have idols in your life. And he tells them, go destroy the idols. Come back to the Lord. Let him be where your heart is, where your trust is, where your service is. And Israel does that and they repent and they put the Lord where he needs to be first and foremost in their life. And they go and they experience victory and they experience blessing in their life. And Samuel does something interesting. He builds an altar and it's called Ebenezer. See these rocks up here, they're just rocks. Nothing fancy. But see, I want to ask you to just examine your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, where's my treasure? Is it you or is it something else? What have you asked me in these last three weeks to really give to you out of a heart motivation, not compliance? Is it my time? Is it my talents? Or maybe there's something I'm treasuring more than you. And I want to encourage you when, to come forward during this time as we sing this last song and to write whatever that is on this stone. I don't know. Maybe it's, Lord, you have my heart. Lord, I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to give you my talents. Lord, you're going to be my greatest treasure, whatever it is. And I want you to take this stone and I want you to kneel here at the front and I want you to pray to the Lord and saying, Lord, maybe it's God, forgive me for putting something else in the place that only you deserve, whatever it is, and then take this back to your seat. Put it somewhere where you'll see it every day as an Ebenezer. Because what I've found in my life is I oftentimes need a recalibration. I need to be back to where it's all started. When my eyes were open to realize that Jesus is the thing that my heart has already always longed for. And oftentimes in my walk with the Lord, that shifts, that goes away because of my sin. And I always need to bring myself back to where it started. Lord, I need you and only you. It's not about my agenda. It's not about what you can do for me. Lord, you don't owe me anything. Lord, I want to treasure you. So when you're ready, I encourage you to come and we have markers up here where you can do that. Pray over it. Take it back to your seat, man. And let's do business with God today.